concluding my Advent monologue series. The first week we looked at the perspective of the angel Gabriel. Last week we heard from Joseph, and now this week we're going to hear from the shepherds. And hopefully it'll shed a little bit more light on who those men were who had the, the message from the angels brought to them that night of nights. Would you bow with me and let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you again that no detail of your great plan for the salvation of mankind was beyond your attention or beyond your notice. Each detail to the smallest speck was carefully planned. And we thank you that you brought it all to pass according to your power, according to your will, and also, Lord, for our salvation. That is why we are here today is because this plan was fulfilled, and we are the recipients. And so we thank you, Lord, that the shepherds that night, who even though they knew very little about your plan or their, their part that they were going to play, were so ready and willing to play their part well, that they eagerly welcomed you into this world, and then just as eagerly told others about you. And so I pray, Lord, this morning that as we seek to look a little bit more into who those shepherds were, and hear a little bit more of what the perspective of a shepherd was like in their time. I pray that you would just open our understanding to appreciate all the more fully of how incredible it is that of all the people on earth you could have sent your angelic choirs to, you sent them to shepherds. And so I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each one of us this morning. Speak through me, your servant. pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Where was I? 57, 58, 59, 60, 61, 62, 63, 94, 95, 96, 90. Wait a second. Hey, who's the smart guy who said 94? Uh, now I gotta start over again. Where was I? Uh, one, two, uh, never mind. Sorry. Force of habit. Counting sheep is kind of what I do, all right? Imagine if your pastor did that every Sunday morning. How embarrassing. Roll call, right? Well, where I work, roll call is important because if even one sheep is missing, that's a big deal. We got to send out the search party. So anyways, I've been counting sheep since before I could remember. It's hard to turn off sometimes, like I said. I even count sheep in my sleep. In fact, if you've ever wondered where counting sheep to fall asleep came from, well, just ask any shepherd on the night watch. Try counting sheep and not falling asleep. A lot harder than you think. In fact, that was my job on the night in question. The night that I came all this way to talk with you about. The night of nights. Now, just in case some of you aren't sure what night I'm talking about, It goes like this. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Now stop right there. Don't go one step further. Now, I know, I know. Some of you have heard that story so many times that your mind started filling in the next line, didn't it? Who who had their mind going to the next line already? Yeah, a few of you are nodding. 
We've heard it so many times that we just skip right ahead to the exciting part, like a little lamb racing ahead, get to the exciting part with the angels and all that stuff. But you need to understand something before we can get to the angels. You need to understand something about shepherds before you can really appreciate why angels coming to us, of all people, is just so outlandish. Now, you might be wondering what my name is, but the Bible doesn't tell you what my name is, so it really isn't important, so I'm not going to tell you either. But what is important to know is that on the night of nights, we shepherds were doing exactly the same thing that we had been doing our entire lives. In fact, we were doing the same things that shepherds always do. Listen again to the verse. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. You see, unlike most people, we shepherds don't just go to work. We live at work. The hillsides are our home, and the sheep, they're our family. We are constantly exposed to the elements. And even when we do get the luxury of going indoors... It's usually inside the caves that are carved out of the hillsides around Bethlehem. They go back to before the time of David. Now, I understand that here in your country, you have these fenced pastures and and elaborate barns to care for your livestock, but that's not the way shepherds operate. Even in the hillsides of Israel today, it's the same as it's been for thousands of years you'll see a flock of sheep grazing in the open countryside with a solitary shepherd watching over them. It's hard, monotonous, and sometimes dangerous work, with very little payoff, if we're being honest. Now, I've noticed, since I've been here looking around at some of your pictures, you have this notion of shepherds being these uh, rosy-cheeked boys wearing bathrobes watching over fluffy white little flocks of lambs, ha, you need to get that picture out of your mind right now. Nothing could be further from the truth. My sheep are regular brutes, big, ugly heads and a smell to go with it. And let's just say that a lot of shepherds fit that description too. Now this may surprise you a little bit, but A sheep out in the field living out there day after day, week after week, year after year, well, they're almost as filthy as pigs. Yes, their wool coat keeps them warm and dry, but it also traps dirt and dust and, yes, manure. So the wool that you might see in the market that's ready to be sold or made into clothing, that has been thoroughly cleansed and washed multiple times. And well, the truth is, when you live with the sheep, you smell like the sheep. Not to mention that living outdoors, there's not a lot of opportunity for things like trimming your beard or washing your face or cleaning your clothes. No, none of that exists out there. Shepherding is hard and rough work for hard and rough men. No city boys need apply. Did I mention the predators? Yes, the predators. They are a constant threat. And it's my job to protect the flock from all sorts of things. Wolves, poisonous snakes, bears, 
and even the odd lion. I've gathered my fair share of scars fighting off those beasts, not to mention a few more fighting off the thieves. No, a shepherd can never afford to let his guard down, especially on the night watch. Fact is, being a shepherd's not a job. It's a way of life, and I love it. Well, most days, anyways. And so, I've never quite understood where I come from, why most people don't think very highly of us shepherds. In fact, in the Jewish culture, shepherds are right near the bottom rung of acceptable professions, just above being a tax collector or even one of those stinky, filthin' pig herders. Ugh, don't get me started about the pig herders. Ugh, you got to understand that where I come from, most people don't think very highly of us shepherds. So, it's a little bit surprising when you consider that us being on the bottom rung, just above the pig herders, well, I'm a little off on a tangent here, but you know that there's a reason that Jesus cast out that legion of demons into a herd of pigs, not sheep, right? You don't want to mess with the sheep, but the pigs, they're okay. And in case you didn't know, it's not kosher for a good Jew like myself to be eating pig meat. Though I will admit that that bacon of yours smells delicious, but now I'm straying off the trail. The bottom line is, no one wants to be friends with a shepherd. Of course, part of the problem is the way we looked and smelled. You can imagine the people in town turning up their noses when a few of us stopped in for supplies. Sure, they'll willingly take our money, but they're just as anxious for us to leave. Another big part of the problem is they don't trust us. Maybe it's because of our nomadic lifestyle. We move from place to place. We're constantly in search of fresh green pastures for our sheep to graze on. And so whenever we're in an area where something's ever stolen, the shepherds are automatically the easiest to blame and the most likely suspects. I've always thought that this was unfair and unjust. Oh, sure, there are a few scoundrels amongst us. Any profession has them. But most shepherds I know are honest, God-fearing men. But whatever the case, most people just assume that we were all scoundrels. They even have a saying that a shepherd knows not the difference between what is mine and what is thine. Even the judges believe that. And they wouldn't even allow the testimony of a shepherd to stand up in any court case. It's as though everyone in the nation had forgotten that Israel actually descended from shepherds. Think about it. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, even the great King David, all shepherds. But I guess people prefer their shepherds buried in the past, not alive in the present. But the biggest problem of all was the attitude of the religious leaders towards us. You see, I was a part of a special group of shepherds around Bethlehem who raised the lambs used for sacrifice in the temple at Jerusalem. We worked diligently raising those sheep. We picked out the best male lambs for the priests. They had to be perfect. No spots, no blemishes were allowed of any kind. We never pawned off any blind or crippled sheep either. 
We knew that God deserves the best, so that's what we gave him. But were our efforts ever recognized by the priests? <laughs> Not a chance. In fact, they, in their perfectly clean white robes, with their carefully trimmed beards and their pious noses so high in the air, huh, they never gave us so much as a thank you. Despite the fact they needed those sheep, our sheep, for their sacrifices, they despised us. To them, we were unclean, and therefore, we were unworthy. The problem was that You see, shepherding, in case you didn't know, is a 24-7 job. The sheep need us all the time. We can't just go off to town and leave them unattended. And because of this, we weren't able to observe mikvah. In case you don't know, mikvah is the ceremonial washing ritual that the law requires one must observe prior to entering a holy place for worship. And so the priests, of course, they added extra rules on top of mikvah, and they demanded that it must be done at least a day ahead of time. And so that extra time meant, even if we did it, we had to wait around before we were allowed to enter the synagogue, or especially the temple. And so, those sheep weren't going to watch themselves. And so let's just say, us shepherds, we weren't in the synagogue or the temple very much. We were barely even tolerated in the temple's outer courtyard, lest our impurity might rub off on them. And so the moment business was finished, we were paid, they had their temple guards escort us straight out. The message was loud and clear. Unclean shepherds were not worthy of entering God's house. Which to me meant I was not worthy. I was simply not good enough for God. And I figured I never would be. But even so, in, in my own way, I still tried to draw close to God. I would remember that David had been a shepherd boy. And he hadn't needed a temple to pray, to sing, to worship, and to draw close to God's heart. Yes, I still wanted God. But I always had this deep down nagging doubt that God didn't want me. And really, why would he? After all, no one else did. I was just a shepherd. But that all changed on the night of nights. The night that changed the course of history forever. The night that ended the longest night. The night that the great light appeared. The night the Messiah was born. Even though it happened many years ago now, I remember it vividly. It was cold and clear. The stars were big and bright overhead, and most of the shepherds in the area, we did this thing sometimes where where we would gather all of our individual flocks together into one big flock. On a green hillside, we did this just outside of Bethlehem. And we would put them together in a big flock for protection, making them easier to watch and giving us mostly solitary shepherds a chance to enjoy each other's company. Some of the men would sleep while others talked, told stories, or played their flutes and harps around the fire. And so in this setting, there I was, on the night watch, counting sheep, trying to stay awake, rechecking the count, one, two, three, when suddenly the hair on my body stood on end, and 
And in the blink of an eye, the darkness of night gave way to a light so bright that the hillside glowed as though it were on fire. And in my shock, it took me a moment to register that at the very center of this light was this enormous human-like figure. And, and his clothes were so brilliant white, they were like snow, except brighter still. And I instinctively knew this was no human. And my normal reaction, which would have been to either fight or, or flee, it didn't even cross my mind. To say that I was terrified, like the Bible says, well, that's putting it mildly. Terrified, stupefied is perhaps a better description. The light washed out from the angelic figure, and it it flowed out in waves, and it just enveloped us. It was pure and intense. I could feel it washing through my body, through my mind, and into the very depths of my soul. And I don't know how I knew, but in my spirit, I just knew that this was the radiant glory of God. This was the Shekinah fire of God's presence that I'd heard about in the ancient stories, of how he led the children of Israel with a cloud of fire, and his glory just surrounded us. And in that moment, surrounded by God, I'll tell you, I thought I was finished. I thought I was done. You may recall the story of the prophet Isaiah. You remember how when he was in the temple, suddenly he witnessed the glory of the Lord. And it was so magnificent, so powerful, that he cried out, Woe is me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And in much the same way, there, surrounded by the glory of God, I recognized The unclean filthiness was not just on my outside, it was in my soul. And it had nothing to do with the manure on my sandals or the sweat stains on my tunic. No matter how bad the priest thought I was, in that moment I realized I was worse still. All my pride and greed and lust and envy and anger and profane thoughts, they were all laid bare. I was fully exposed as a sinner surrounded by the presence of a holy, righteous, and just God. And I fell to my knees, terrified, stupefied, dreading the words that I would hear. And then the angel spoke. His voice was thunderously melodic. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Do not be afraid? Well, that was good to hear. And I could feel this relief beginning to wash over me as I realized that perhaps this being was not there to judge me, but to bring good news. And he continued, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Well, as I began to think of all of this, could it really be the Messiah? Generations of people had lived and died for centuries looking forward to the coming of the great deliverer of Israel. And now he was here. The angelic presence removed all doubt. The words were true. 
The message was real. And then with my mind still spinning, trying to process all of this, suddenly the night sky just came alive with more angels than I could possibly count in a lifetime. Even if I had it to try, there were too many of them. And I just looked up, and they lit up the night sky, and then with one voice they were crying out, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And it seemed to me that when they appeared, it wasn't as though they had just flown in, it was as though they had already been there. And that it was me whose eyes were momentarily open to see them. And, and when they faded from sight again, it wasn't as though they left, it was just as though they had faded away, but I knew somehow they were still up there, still glorifying God. And all night I kept checking back into the sky just in case they reappeared. Well, once this all faded away and the, the lights went down, so to speak, huh, there was a long moment of silence. All of us had our faces on the ground. When we finally got back up onto our feet, we looked at each other, and then it just seemed like everyone started talking at once. We were babbling, so excited, trying to process what we had just seen and heard. And as they were talking, one thing just kept coming back to me that didn't make any sense. And I thought about it for a long time afterwards. Of all people, why would God have sent his angel choir to us, shepherds? At the time, it clicked into my mind and I figured that most certainly that angel choir had already been to the temple in Jerusalem. And that certainly the high priests and the religious leaders must be on their horses, on their camels, on their mules, racing down the road to Bethlehem to welcome the Messiah. But when I learned later that that hadn't happened, it made me wonder all the more, why us? Why me? Well, I shoved those thoughts aside for the moment. We had a Messiah to find, after all. And so immediately, it was agreed that we would go find this Christ child, and I had a pretty good idea where to find him. I knew the location of every single manger in town, and our feet just flew down one hill and up another. I've never ran like that in my entire life. And when we finally arrived, breathless, exhilarated, we stopped outside, and suddenly I felt indecisive. No one else was there yet. There were no priests, no Pharisees, no one. And then the thought struck me. Do we just go in? I was far from ritually clean. There had been no mikvah baths along the way. I was dirty, and I smelled like sheep. And here, here, a guy like me who's not allowed to even go into the inner court of the temple, here I was about to barge in on the Messiah? Well, I just suddenly didn't realize what I was going to do, and just then one of the other shepherds, he decided to be bold, and he opened the stable door. And well, I can never quite tell properly what happened next. What I saw is easy enough, but what I felt, well, that's something else altogether. The father, he was initially surprised to see us. He held his staff, giving us the eye. What are we doing here? One of the guys said, an angel, an angel sent us. And he got this funny look on his face. And he just welcomed us in straight away. And there was the young mother. 
She was lying there on a makeshift bed of robes. And just as the angel had said, there he was, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. In a manger. The Messiah in a manger. And for this long and awestruck moment, we just stared. We just stared at this this tiny face. We'd all seen babies before, but never one like this. And it dawned on me that there in that dirty, smelly stable filled with animals, that I, a dirty, smelly shepherd, fit right in. I was part of the landscape in that place. I didn't need to clean up to meet this Savior. Instead, in great humility, this Savior had come down to me, exactly where I was at. I said earlier how I had felt my sins exposed when the glory of God had just surrounded us, and I felt as though they would condemn me. But now here, in the presence of God's Messiah, it was again like Isaiah when he too had felt like he would be undone by God's glory. But God mercifully sent a seraph to touch a coal of fire to his lips, and he had said to him, Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And in that moment, like Isaiah, I felt God's cleansing, his forgiveness, his mercy. And over it all, I felt, I felt an overwhelming sense that God loved me. And it was as though in, the, in, in this simple act of welcoming God's Messiah into the world, that God was welcoming me into his family. And now I told you before that while I always wanted God, I was never quite sure if God wanted me. Well, let me tell you that there in that stable, that doubt was erased and replaced by an inner peace and a joy unlike anything I have ever experienced before or since. It changed everything for me, and I have never been the same since. And when God asked Isaiah, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Isaiah had replied, Here I am. Send me. And let me tell you that from that moment that I left the stable that day, Isaiah's mission became my mission. God had sent his angels to me for a reason. And now he was sending me out, the first missionary, to tell the world that his Messiah, the Savior, is here. And you know what? We went out that day and we started telling everyone what God had done. And you know what? I've been telling people ever since, every chance I get. And you know what? Most people think I'm crazy. (laughs) The priests, the religious types, they won't even listen to what we have to say. They tell me to be quiet, but I won't stop. I can't stop. The news is just too wonderful to keep to myself. The Savior is born. The Savior is born. He's here. He's alive, and He is with us. How can we keep that to ourselves? 
We could not reach up to God. But God could reach down to us. And he fulfilled his word. That though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. (laughs) I like that last part about the wool. Being a shepherd, that's always touched my heart. And now it really means something. Because God's forgiveness is real, my friends. It's real. And it's for you. Now maybe some of you out there today listening to my story, maybe like me, you've always wondered if God really wanted you. Maybe you've never felt good enough for God. Maybe you've felt as though your sin is just dragging you down, condemning you, filling you with shame, telling you that God doesn't want anything to do with you. But my friends, listen to my story. The Savior in the manger says otherwise. God wants you. He came to earth to find you. Every last one of you. If I were to count them all and go around town counting all of them too, and then go around Manitoba counting all of them too, and Canada, yes, every last one of them, God wants. The manger proves it. He came to find sinners. Right in their filth, right in the muck and mire of their lives, he came to find them because he came to find me. My friends, have you been found? He later on said he was the good shepherd looking for sheep. And he says he goes looking for even one that goes missing. Have you been found? If you have, like me, if you've been found, I pray that you'll take Isaiah's message and say, here I am, send me. This news is too good to keep to myself. I've got to share it with the world. But my friends, if you're here today and you feel your sin weighing you down, you can just go to the manger and look ahead to the cross of Jesus Christ and realize that it can all be forgiven and you can leave here today the way I left that stable, free, at peace, knowing I am right with God because God made it possible by looking for me. All you need to do is be found, just like I was. Call out on his name. He is here. So may all glory and majesty, dominion and power be unto his name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Father God, we thank you that even when we were hopelessly lost in sin, you came to find us. That while we were still your enemies, separated from you in every possible way, our sin, our uncleanness, deep down in our souls, separating us from you, a perfect and holy God, you sent your Son And you made it so plain right from the very beginning that you didn't just come for the good. You didn't just come for the priests and the Pharisees and the the people who had been thinking they'd been doing things the right way. No, you came right from the beginning to the lowliest of the low. You sent your angel choir to shepherds, the ones everyone else wrote off, didn't want anything to do with. You wanted something to do with them. You sent your angels to prove it. And so, Lord, today I just pray if there's anyone here who feels like the lowliest of low, 
that their sin is just dragging them down, that you would want nothing to do with them. Lord, help them to see that just like the shepherds, you came for them. Jesus is for you today. You can receive him by faith and have your sins removed. And Father, if there are some of us here today who, like the shepherds, have received you as Savior, we've believed in you, we've put our faith in you, help us to leave here today with great joy, knowing that this message is too good to keep to ourselves. Give us the courage of the shepherds to go out and boldly declare. Give us the willingness of Isaiah to say, here I am, send me. And we pray that through our words and our obedience, your Holy Spirit will work for the salvation of many, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.